Coming up on Studos America, the former acting head of Homeland Security joins us with his analysis of the disaster in Afghanistan. ESPN continues to bow before the woke mob as they take Rachel Nichols' job away. Amazing. And the inevitable has come to pass as terrorist suicide bombers begin to strike against U.S. forces in Kabul. We'll go over the latest as we do the consequences of Biden. Stu does America. Thanks for joining us on what unfortunately is a historic day, uh, a day that I can't believe I mean, I cannot, I say this over and over again, I cannot believe what we see, what we're seeing on a daily basis. I can't believe the United States of America is in the middle of this. I, uh, I'm just, it's, it's so disturbing and perplexing that we are seeing the type of things that we're seeing on the news every single day. I am, I have trouble with stories like this. I'm at the point where I've just reached emotional anger. I'm just pissed off, pissed off right now. All the time, I'm pissed off. And I'm telling you this, not because that's an important part of the story at all. I'm more covering my ass in case I say something I shouldn't. Because right now, I'm so incredibly angry as to what has happened uh, with this situation in Afghanistan over just the past couple of weeks that I find it difficult to really to do this tonight. I find it difficult to do this. I'm going to do my best. But I'm pissed off. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to give you I'm not going to spend too much time giving you the updates because uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know the story. Obviously, a terrorist bombing goes off near the airport uh, in Kabul. U.S. troops are around. Afghanis are around. You've probably seen the terrible footage that's being spread around social media. Uh, of people. I mean, it's just piles of bodies everywhere. I'm just piles of them. Uh, and that, you know, uh, it's, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming and, and yet so incredibly predictable. If you've been watching this show over the past couple of weeks since all of this started, I have made this point over and over and over and over again. And you're probably sick of hearing it, but I'm going to say it one more time because unfortunately it's still true. We were looking at this situation where the, the, the country had collapsed and we had uh, half of our military was already out of there, uh, really more than half. Uh, we'd given up the air bases and we still had all of our people there and, and it made no sense. And people were like, this is really going to hurt Biden. He's doing a bad job. And my point was the, dis- the situation we're discussing here is the best case scenario. Saigon, the fa- I wish, I wish this was Saigon. In Saigon, we had most of our people out a month before uh, the city fell. This is a situation where we're doing it on the fly. We're trusting the Taliban for security. We're, 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 we're accepting red lines from the Taliban. But all of that was the best case scenario. The best. Because at any moment, either another group or a rogue Taliban member or someone from Al-Qaeda or someone from ISIS-K, the new ISIS variant, could come in and blow themselves up or take a pot shot or blow up the airfield or God only knows what happens. And then we're in a situation where there might be thousands of American hostages. This could get uglier and uglier and uglier. God only knows. Please, please, please protect the people that are there. We might even see death in Afghanistan. And of course, today, that's what we saw. 
quick updates. If you don't know, we, it depends on when you're listening to this too. So I'm just gonna give you what I have at the moment. 12 US mem uh, service members uh, killed, 15 wounded. I've seen that number higher. Uh, I've also seen a number as high as 10 that are in critical condition. So this number could still go up significantly. They say about 60 uh, Afghans uh, were killed, another 140 injured. Those numbers are gonna go up as well. And these are people largely who were in the group that had made it past security. Uh, there's a report today that we gave the Taliban a list of all the people we wanted in. Uh, that's not gonna work out after we leave <laughs> very well. Uh, but some of those people were probably inside. I mean, this is largely a group of people that we were trying to protect, and many of those people died in these attacks as well. Uh, the point was made by the general in the briefing earlier. There was also a Biden uh, speech. We'll go over that in a, here in a little bit as well. But they, that the ISIS-K thing is very real. There's people that want to, to hurt us at this airport. And there are differing groups here. We talked about this earlier in the week. You do have some people in the Taliban who are saying, look, we want to get to all of our raping of the women and torturing people. Let's get the U.S. out of here first. You have that sect of, of Taliban uh, who is trying to help us, not because they're helpful, but because they want us the hell out of there so that they can do God knows what to the people remaining. The other part of this is you have people who, who look at this and say, wait a minute, they've been bombing us, they've been attacking us, they've been helping our enemies for 20 years. They are our enemies. They're the enemies of Allah. We need to kill them. And that group took control of the storyline today. Now, the crazy thing to sit back and think about is that the fact that multiple dozens of people were killed and hundreds were injured has now become the best case scenario. We can't get those people back. So now the best case scenario is that only 12 of our military are dead that only 60 Afghan uh, civilians that, that helped us in some way are dead, that only uh, this many people die in this one grouping of attacks. But we know there are hundreds of ISIS-K around, not to mention the Taliban, not to mention Al-Qaeda, who want to attack again. There's an ongoing threat situation. By the time you hear my voice say this, there may be another attack. We now are looking, we're down the road, I guess, toward the worst case scenario. But now the best case scenario, our troops dead, our Afghan civilians dead. The best case scenario now is what we're dealing with. And that best case scenario sucks and none of it was necessary. To put it in perspective, the, the guy who sat here and told you about this never ending war, about how it was so bad and it was so long and we needed to pull them out no matter what, has now caused the deadliest day for troops in Afghanistan since 2011. You may remember that year as a year uh, before even the re-election of Barack Obama when uh, Joe Biden was still in the White House uh, and dealing in the White House constantly uh, with Barack Obama uh, as vice president. 2011, that day, 30 Americans died, including 22 Navy SEALs when they were shot down. But this is a totally different story. This is a story about something that was totally unnecessary. I want to give you a little bit from John Podoritz, uh, who wrote 
As we mourn the losses of American service members today in Kabul, please keep this in mind. They would not be dead if Joe Biden had not chosen to pull American forces out of Afghanistan. The number of deaths today in Afghanistan is greater than the entire number of Americans who died there in 2020. They mark the first service deaths in Afghanistan since February of 2020. The change here was the deliberate and conscious decision to end a war, quote unquote, in which Americans were not suffering combat casualties. The status quo held, and then Joe Biden, in between licks of his ice cream cones, heedlessly smashed it to bits. He wanted to be the bringer of peace, and he is instead the bringer of chaos. And we haven't seen anything yet. Remember, this terrible day, this terrible feeling you have is the best possible outcome now from Afghanistan. It can't get any better than this. It can only get worse. It can only get worse from here. Andrew McCarthy writes for National Review, the catastrophe in Kabul playing out before our eyes was in a predictably grisly way. But the Biden administration set events in motion in July when our forces bugged out of Bagram Air, Air Base. It signaled that President Biden had decided to ensure that events on the ground, no matter how bad they got, could not reverse his determination to pull out. And this is one of the central points I've been tossing around. And uh, it's something maybe it's worth a full monologue at some point. But one thing we were pitched uh, when we were pitched Joe Biden was that he was a pragmatic guy. He was not an ideological guy. Look at his career. He was in the middle of the Democratic Party, no matter where the Democratic Party was. When it was super liberal, he was he was super liberal. When it came back in the 90s to being sort of conservative ish, he was sort of conservative ish at times. When when we went into Afghanistan, he was saying, we got to stop complaining about nation building, guys. That's ridiculous. Sometimes you have to nation build. And then now he's saying the goal was never nation building. It's whatever's in front of him. That's who he is. However, he is acting like a profoundly ideological president. Look at the evidence. Events on the ground do not change he's doubling down he's tripling down he's quadrupling down on terrible decisions no matter what the cause you go back to mao in china and he's implement these five-year plans and millions of people would die and they'd go to mao and they'd say hey buddy this isn't working out and he'd say you know what give it five more years that's joe biden right now he's just powering through anyone can have an ideology it's easy to have an ideology and i'm not against ideology uh, generally i actually think it's an underrated thing you should have an ideology you should know what you stand for you should have principles but also you should take into account the events on the ground and you prove you're an ideological person when you stick to all of these decisions no matter how badly they're going and that's what biden is doing the exact opposite of how he pitched himself as a moderate, pragmatic person who would adjust to events on the ground. He's not doing that. Look at what he's not doing that with spending. We're seeing all this inflation. He still wants $4.7 trillion more in spending. We're seeing it at the border. I'm, I want to get rid of these Trump policies. Well, you know what? We were seeing a constant crisis on the border, worse than anyone could have possibly predicted. And he keeps sticking with it. He's just powering through. Same thing here. He keeps giving you different excuses different reasons why he had to do it this way but he didn't have to do it this way none of this was necessary and he continues to push through they now have this they have multiple 
uh, different excuses they keep rolling out. Let me give you a couple of them. Well, we're trying to get everybody out that wants to leave. They spent, Blinken spent yesterday 20 minutes describing all the people who didn't want to leave Afghanistan. Is that really a big concern? Is it? Sure, there could be someone who might work for a charity and, and just like, you know what? I'm here and I'm dedicated to this cause. And if I die from the Taliban's hand, I die from the Taliban's hand. Surely there's somebody in the country who's doing that. Surely there's somebody in the country who was a contractor who got married to somebody in, in Kabul and they don't want to leave their family behind. So they're sticking it out. Surely there's a couple of them. But is that really important to focus on? The new thing they're trying to do is basically give themselves an excuse. And it's sad. The implication, this is from Noah Rothman, the implication in the uh, idea uh, of saying that some people want to stay behind, the White House is trying to get every American who wants to get out. The idea behind that is that those who will be left behind are trapped as a result of their own actions. They're trying to blame the people who are going to show up in the hostage videos in a month or two on the fact that they just wanted to stay. Well, maybe some of them wanted to stay because you told them this wasn't going to happen. We weren't going to lose control of the country in, uh, over a weekend from a Friday to a Sunday. Maybe some of them stuck it out because they thought you guys had it under control. The new one is after the attack. Listen to it. You see it all over the media. You see it from all the media allies. You see it from the spokespeople. You saw it from Biden in his speech today. Look. A big attack happened. It was really sad, just like we've been warning you. We've been warning. We told you this was going to happen. So now they're trying to get credit for predicting it. You're in the situation because of your own actions. You don't get credit for predicting the bad outcomes after you screwed it up. It's like lighting your house on fire and saying, oh, well, you know what? We told you that pets could die if the house ever caught on fire. You lit it on fire. And they're going to try to memory hole all the crap they said and did. They're trying to do it now. This is Joe Biden from GMA just a few days ago trying to explain his way out of the first crisis in Afghanistan. Still a lot of pandemonium outside the airport. Well, there is. But look, but no one's being killed right now. God forgive me if I'm wrong about that, but no one's being killed right now. He's literally knocking on wood in the middle of an interview. I don't know, maybe, maybe depending on superstitious knocking on wood is not the best thing for a president to do in this moment. Maybe you should have some control over the situation. Maybe the idea that you have the most powerful military in the world should mean we shouldn't be taking red lines from the freaking Taliban at the airport. We don't even have the whole airport. We only have the military side. We don't even have the whole airport. And listen to the freaking, listen to the freaking briefing by the general today who's outlining all of the things we're depending on the Taliban to do for our own security. This is where we are with this president. Man, it happened fast. Let me give you Jen Psaki from the other day, because I've told you this story a hundred times and I can't stop tweeting it next to really bad headlines about this, which is that the, the White House wanted the media to give them their proper credit. They wanted props for all the wonderful things they were doing in Afghanistan. Here's Jen Psaki the other day, just two days ago, telling us how successful all of this has been. 
Go ahead. Thank you, Jen. Is there any concern that maybe trying to reach this deadline and get everybody out, uh, mistakes are being made now that there is a report that at least one of the Afghans evacuated to Qatar uh, has suspected ISIS ties? Well, first I would say we have a stringent vetting process, which includes, which includes? Uh, background checks before any individual comes to the United States. Oh, uh, wow. So I can't speak to one individual, but I can tell you and, and confirm for you that we take the vetting of any individual who comes to the United States and, and comes out incredibly seriously. Um, and it's an extensive process. Uh, I would say that this is now on track, Peter, to be the largest airlift in smile. U.S. history. Oh, big uh, so, And oh. that is... A, a, bringing American citizens out. It is bringing our Afghan partners out. It is bringing allies out. Uh, so no, I would not say that is anything but a success. Anything but a success. Anything but a success is how they were describing this two days ago when it was blatantly not true. But you know what? It's even less of a success now. I will say this. It is uh, anything but a success. I'll, I'll agree with that last part of it. Anything but a success is what we're looking at in Afghanistan right now. And now, the one thing that I think has been surprising in all of this, it's not Joe B Biden being incompetent. That's not surprising. One thing has been surprising is there actually has been some decent media coverage here. The media has held the Biden administration largely to account for this. And while they've complained about other things here and there, and they've done some bad uh, reporting here and there, it hasn't been as bad as you would probably expect. What usually happens, though, in a moment like this, when there's a big event and it's impossible to spin your way out of it, the media will cover it well for a couple of weeks and then start falling back on old patterns as, as you get past the initial events. Some indications that that's already starting. Uh, our friend Chris Brady, of course, works here and has for many years. He, he wrote me this today. Check it in the CNN uh, homepage to see how they're covering today. Top section of the website, Biden, two mem uh, mentions, Trump, Three mentions. You got these seven U.S. Capitol uh, officers suing Trump for the Stop the Steal movement. This is what Trump said about U.S. evacuation of Afghan allies. Opinion, Trump rally script fell apart. We have these stories from today. Why are so many Marines neo-Nazis? Came out on Vice today. The day that we're seeing Marines dead. Why are so many of them neo-Nazis? Great, great, great timing on that one. Or this one also came out today. Uh, or maybe it was this one may have been yesterday. The MAGA movement's a bigger threat to America than the Taliban. The MAGA movement. That's the uh, Daily Beast. They're starting to get their sea legs here and how they're going to make these defenses. Watch the media. You will, it will drive you crazy now that I've said it. Watch them. Try to give Biden credit for predicting the terrorist attack he allowed to happen. The one he's responsible for. Watch them give him credit for predicting it. As if it was some amazing Kreskin feat to figure out that you might wind up putting our troops in danger when you do things this way. These are the consequences of Biden. When you have a president that is so inept and so disconnected from reality, when you have someone that is so bad at his job, when you have someone who seems to want to power through any negative thing just so he can have a talking point, 
When you have that person as your president, these are the consequences. The consequences of Biden. Let me tell you about Mercury Real Estate. They, uh, Mercury Real Estate is the kind of thing we call around here. And the reason why it's Mercury Real Estate, well, Mercury's the company Glenn started a million years ago. And he started Mercury Real Estate as well. You might know it as its more uh, familial name, realestateagentsitrust.com. Why did Glenn start a company about real estate agents? What does he know about real estate? Well, first of all, when you're in radio, you know a lot about real estate because you move around all the time. It's your job every two years to get fired and get hired in some new market. So you're constantly dealing with real estate agents and he's been doing it his entire life. And so he decided, hey, why am I always just trying to find some random person when I land in a city? What if I had some screening service where I could find a really good real estate agent? Well, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. It's available to you now as well as him. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go, whether you're buying a home or selling a home, get the best price possible. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Now, what are these things we see over time, with like these Me Too allegations, for example, is a lot of times they hit the same news sources that are you know scorning everyone else like they'll come out and they'll say oh look how bad this republican is who did this thing and he's accused of it doesn't matter what they really say in response to it and then these other scandals come out and a lot of times they're about one of these news agencies and you're like well wait a minute can you comment on this you keep seeing the there's been so many cover-ups at news agencies from these allegations now i don't know if this one's true or not there's a a gma allegation this one is about um, uh, an ABC News staffer who, uh, who said the GMA boss, Michael Korn, sexually assaulted them. In fact, it's two staffers are, allega- are, are alleging this. Now, his, his, claim, his uh, comeback here is he's saying the prove, uh, he, he's got emails that prove her claims are demonstrably, f- demonstrably false. He said her messages were not the words and actions of a woman who had been assaulted hours before. He said the claims are equally as uh, both claims are equally as fabricated. Um, she had invited him to his wedding, um, repeatedly communicated to me and my wife that she missed me after leaving her position on and on and on. We see this all the time. And. Who knows where this stuff goes? I just find it interesting to see how the media handles it. We are also seeing this now in Jeopardy. It's not sexual assault uh, there. It was bad comments on a podcast. And also kind of the the guy who was executive producer, Mike Richards um, of Jeopardy, who wound up naming himself as host, who they say behind the scenes was kind of a jerk. And again, an abusive, terrible place to work. Uh, comments that were inappropriate. All these allegations again against a network show and that network has spent tons of time criticizing um you know over and over and over again people at other uh establishments for the way they've handled their allegations espn's the same thing we see these allegations all the time about espn and how bad it is espn has had their own troubles with these same types of scandals. Uh, One of the most recent ones is this sort of woke scandal that's gone on with Rachel Nichols. Now, Rachel Nichols, who remember, uh, was an anchor at at ESPN. She hosted a show called The Jump. She was like the main person for the NBA coverage. This is kind of her dream gig. Well, someone spied on her in her hotel room, basically. 
And she said to um, one of LeBron James's advisors, hey, I feel like I'm losing my gig to an African-American because the ESPN is so worried about their diversity that they're not they don't want to put me on because of the color of my skin. And that's wrong. And look, you know, the other host was Maria Taylor was her name. She's great and everything. But like, I don't want to lose my gig because of that. It's not my fault. I didn't do any of those things. That's apparently so offensive, they pulled her off the coverage. Maria Taylor, who was in the middle of negotiations, shockingly, when this was leaked, has now gone to a different uh, network. Wasn't it one of these two? Do anyone remember which one that was? Where did she go? She went where? NBC. NBC. Okay, she went to NBC. We have ABC and then Jeopardy. So, but we've seen plenty of stuff at NBC as well over the years. Uh, so we just saw one with Saturday Night Live, another uh, serious accusation uh, at NBC. Anyway, she's over there now. <clears throat> and Rachel Nichols is still at ESPN. So what do they do with Rachel Nichols? They cancel her show. So now that Maria Taylor's gone, they've canceled The Jump, which was her show. And they've pulled her off the NBA coverage. Well, what's she going to do? What is she going to do now? They're just, I guess, just going to pay her to hang out. Because why? Because she correctly perceived that she was losing her job because of woke nonsense. Uh, I mean, she was much more accomplished than Maria Taylor. Maria Taylor was already getting a ton of money, hadn't been offered millions and millions of dollars as someone who's not necessarily even associated that closely with the network. Just, you know, another anchor. Rachel Nichols had been there forever, had, was, had one of the biggest uh, Rolodexes, it seemed, uh, in, the, uh, in the world of the NBA. And now she's tossed to the sidelines. Right now they're saying she's still employed. We'll see how long that lasts. We'll see how long it lasts for Mike Richards as executive producer of Jeopardy. And we'll see how long it is for the guy at Good Morning America. We'll see. Because usually when these things start, they don't stop rolling. Once the snowball, snowball begins to build, it just keeps going down the hill. Back in a second. Some government overreach news for you. Today uh, in Texas, there's uh, Greg Abbott, our governor, uh, passed one of these uh, restrictions on mandate mandates on masks. So basically said, hey, you can't throw mandates on kids in schools. Um, you can't have all these mask mandates. We're done with that stuff. People need to be able to make their own decisions. Um, basically leaving it to the smallest level of government, the individual, the individual family. Uh, and uh, that has been now, um, they're saying now that in Dallas is one of the places, one of the school districts that tried to basically ignore that rule and challenge it in court. Uh, so far, they won this uh, first uh, uh, battle in the legal war, but it really doesn't make all that much difference. It's going to go up at least probably uh, a few levels when it comes to uh, different courts and, and, and challenges. I think eventually Abbott will win and I think states will be able to do this. Governors have a lot of power when it comes to this stuff. Um, I don't always love these types of rules, but in this case, I think it, it's probably the right thing to do. Uh, but that being said, I think it really comes down to whether it's legal or not. And, and we'll get through that here in the next couple of weeks. Another thing that's not legal, but they may attempt to do is a national vaccine mandate. Now, I have I've always been of the impression that they're not going to do this. Basically, Biden can't do it. Biden cannot do this. The, this. the New Yorker is trying to start the ball rolling on this one, though, and say, well, maybe they can. <laughs> um, they really can't uh, do it nationally, and particularly without a law being passed. And it would be incredibly difficult to actually get one to pass. But 
I, I just want to make you aware that this push is potentially coming. And they're trying to make now the intellectual base of that argument to uh, to go uh, to start moving the public a little bit to expect that. Now, a national va vaccine mandate is a really bad idea. Also would not work and also is not is not legal. Uh, I don't think that would survive this current Supreme Court by any means. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, it's one of the things that Biden's doing a heck of a lot of, by the way, is basically saying, I know this isn't going to pass the courts, but I'll get six months of this before they, they overturn it. And that might be enough. The the uh, the um, the mandate of pre preventing uh, landowner uh, landlords uh, for evicting people is right down that road. It's totally wrong. And, and honestly, an impeachable offense. You, if you know something is not going to hold up in court and you think it's constitutional and you tell everybody that and then go along with it anyway, you're really uh, I mean, that was like kind of the original idea of what when we should use impeachment. That won't be what they do. We talked about that on yesterday's show uh, and we'll get into that maybe a, a little bit uh, more as the week goes on. California is looking to pay drug addicts to stay sober. Now, I'm sober. Why am I not getting paid? You know, I never do heroin on Tuesdays. And so why am I not getting paid for that? You know, that's a full day off. No one ever gives me anything. And Reno is now going to do a new restriction on whips, which is pretty amazing. Reno, the city, is, is saying, yeah, gun violence, you know, sure, that might be a problem. But whip violence is really a problem for us. I remember Al Sharpton saying this a while ago. Someone said to him, like, well, hey, you get this. You want to ban guns. Well, what's going to happen if people start stabbing each other? He goes, then I'll ban knives. That, that's your government for you. And that's Reno, apparently. Don't bring that whip to work anymore, guys. Back in a second. Joining us now is Chad Wolf. He's the former acting secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security under President Trump and a visiting fellow with the Heritage Foundation. Chad, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the program. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I really wanted to have you on because you have a really interesting perspective on what's going on, particularly in Afghanistan right now. You've served under two presidents with the Department of Homeland Security. It's a, it's, a, it's a branch of the government that was created in large part to react to September 11th and this particular conflict. How, when you're looking at what's going on on the ground in Afghanistan, how do you react? Well, I react a couple of different ways. Obviously, the events uh, that occur today are, are certainly tragic anytime you lose uh, service members. Um, so I look at it from a, a lack of a leadership uh, issue that's going on over there now. Uh, but also on how it affects homeland security and the threat of terrorism that once emanated from Afghanistan uh, and that is probably going to rise again in Afghanistan as a safe haven for terrorism writ large. And I think the attacks today show us and demonstrate that terrorism is alive and well in Afghanistan. Uh, and that's only going to grow once U.S. presence has left there. Um, and so there's a variety of different things that, that concern me. Uh, when we think about homeland security, it's not only what occurs here, but it's also what starts uh, overseas with foreign terrorist organizations such as the Taliban or ISIS-K and others. And so the way in which this withdrawal has happened and the, and the lack of leadership that we have there, um, I think has made the homeland less safe today and over the last several days than it has been 
uh, over the last several years. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things that's hit me a little bit as the discussion of this has gone on. Over the years, obviously, it's a really long war and people were kind of tired of it. I think the American people were tired of it and, and, and wanted to get out. I think that's what every poll shows and I think that's the mood of the nation. And, and as much as we fear uh, what might happen to women and children and all the terrible things the Taliban does, I, I think at some point we, we've lost sight of the idea that we were there for us. We were there to make sure that terrorism didn't come to our shores again. Right. Have the American people lost focus on that? Uh, well, probably so. You know, over 20 years, I think you do lose focus on why you were there. We were there to uh, make sure that another 9-11 never happened again, and obviously then to hunt down Osama bin Laden as the mastermind behind 9-11. And so I think it's important that we keep focus on making sure that another terrorism or another foreign terrorist organization can't um, come to the homeland and, and do these acts of terror. Um, and so there's a variety of different ways that you do that. And I think not having the capacity, not having any boots on the ground as far as an embassy, uh, intelligence community staff and the like is going to make our job that much more difficult um, trying to recruit assets, right? A big part of this counterintelligence, counterterrorism mission is making sure that you can identify bad people and bad things before they happen. And you need, you need assets on the ground there. And this withdrawal has demonstrated that we're no longer going to have those assets and we're going to be in the blind uh, for the foreseeable future when it comes to Afghanistan once our, our forces have pulled out. And then I think the way in which this has occurred over the last several days has emboldened Taliban, has emboldened ISIS-K and other terrorist organizations. Anytime that we're relying on, on the Taliban for security around an airport or around a facility is a bad day. Um, but they are seeing the benefits of this and uh, they are certain promoting this uh, for recruitment purposes and others. And so all in all, I think over the, you know, the U.S. has had a very bad uh, week, um, week or more uh, when it comes to Afghanistan and what that means for our homeland security. It really is amazing. Um, I'm asking you this question knowing you do not have the time to answer it fully. So I, get, I, I will mention that at the outset. But what has President Biden done wrong here? I know you could probably go on for a very long time on this answer uh, on this answer, but yeah. it really seems that some of this I'm not a military expert, but some of this stuff is just identifiably common sense insane. Right. Yeah, I think a couple of different things I would point to. One is setting an arbitrary deadline and then advertising that to the world and specifically to the Taliban. Hmm. Um, they could either wait it out or they can plan to do certain attacks leading up to that. There's a variety of different things. Once they know that there's a deadline and they can they can they know the types of activities that U.S. military personnel are going to do as that deadline approaches, I think it's just the wrong uh, the wrong approach. I think uh, leaving Bagram Air Force Base and trying to get individuals out at Kabul International Airport was the wrong move. Bagram's about 30 to 40 miles north of the city, very secure. Um, very controllable from a security perspective. And I think that would have been immensely wise to keep that uh, as we uh, as we removed American citizens, American forces, contractors, SIVs and others, uh, I think is entirely appropriate. So I think he did that wrong. And then I think probably the most important is he continues to rely on the Taliban 
uh, for security, for allowing people through their security checkpoints to get into the airport. We have essentially turned over vetting of individuals to the Taliban. Um, and so I think that continues to be uh, just a, a misplaced and just a wrong approach to this issue. Um, whether they're behind the attacks today or they're not, they're complicit. We'll see what that comes out. But I think this has demonstrated that um, you know American forces need to make sure that uh, we are going in and making sure that we get in Americans out and others that we want out and that we don't rely on the Taliban to do that. Mm. Um, now, one of the criticisms from the left is they bring up the fact that President Trump, when you, you know, yep. you served under President Trump, he wanted to get out as well. He had a, a, a deadline of, of May 1st to get out. Um, he worked with the Taliban as well. What looking back on that, was that the right thing to do? And what would President Trump be doing differently right now? Well, I've heard this criticism a lot, and they try to confuse you, they try to confuse the audience and others with uh, the debate on whether we should have gotten out or not. And as you said at the top of the segment, I think most Americans agree it's time to remove ourselves from Afghanistan. I don't, you know, reasonable people can debate that, but I don't think that's the debate today. Mm -hmm. The debate today is how we got out. It's not whether we should have or should not but it's the manner in which it was executed. And by all accounts, by any objective measure or metrics, it's been an abject failure about how we are removing ourselves from that country. And I think the president, unfortunately, had put, had put politics over this process. He wanted to get out by September 11th. Uh, he wanted to be able to stand there on the anniversary of 9-11 and say that we're all out of Afghanistan. And I don't think that the, the, the details and the specifics on the ground dictated that timeline. Um, we should get out when the mission is done, when all Americans are out, uh, equipment is out, and it shouldn't be set to an arbitrary deadline. Um, and so I would say, and so I would say, President Trump never would have done that. Um, did he agree that we should get out of Afghanistan? Absolutely. Did he negotiate with the Taliban? Absolutely. But we would not have given up Bagram Air Force Base. We would not have set an arbitrary deadline. We would not have allowed the Taliban to control the security of that airport and essentially vet individuals coming through their checkpoints. I kind of want to say I would have loved to have seen the Taliban try to give a red line to Donald Trump. That would that would have been an interesting afternoon. Um, let me go to uh, the border a little bit here, if we could. Uh, I think there's an interesting thing happening because there are Afghans that helped us in incredible ways. And, I, and we've talked to military members who had their lives saved by Afghans fighting yep. alongside of them. We we want them safe. We want them here. I mean, those are great, great people. The vetting process is is difficult. And I think this ties into what we're seeing uh, on the border uh, now where the crisis on the border is not being talked about but is completely out of control. Can you give me some uh, commentary on those two things? Yeah, absolutely. Let me start with Afghanistan and those interpreters, the translators that have worked beside the military personnel. Look, I think at the end of the day, it's important to help those that have helped us, but we can't sacrifice American security in the process. So the SIV vetting that has been established for the several years needs to occur. Unfortunately, what you see today is you see shortcuts occurring because they're having to do that vetting, which usually takes weeks up to months uh, to do that type of vetting mm -hmm. because you have to look at passports, birth certificates. You have to look at 
uh, you, letters of recommendation from the military or the State Department. You have to validate whether they've been employed for 12 months or more. You have to do a variety of different things. And that usually takes weeks and months. And now they're doing it in a matter of hours. And so you know that there are going to be things that get missed, unfortunately. And that's all the result of a hasty withdrawal that we've seen, poorly executed and poorly planned. But at the end of the day, I think whether you look at Afghanistan or you look at the the uh, the crisis that we see on the border. Uh, unfortunately, this administration's policies have now emboldened the Taliban. Um, come August 31st or, or days after, they will be emboldened. They will control more territory, more money, and more military assets than they did on 9-11. Mm. And then when you when you go to the border, the, the Biden administration's policies are emboldening the cartels. They are making millions of dollars a day, not a week and not a month, but a day, mm because of the policies of this administration. And it's unfortunate, and it's a vicious cycle when we talk about the southern border. The cartels continue to smuggle and traffic human individuals, and they're getting rich off of it, and they're turning that back, putting that money back in their criminal enterprise, and they'll continue to smuggle illicit narcotics and illicit uh, contraband across that border as well. So again, on both fronts, I think you see Biden administration policies emboldening both the Taliban and the Mexican cartels. I mean, this is really it's really frustrating. And you brought up a, 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 a point a moment ago of the president uh, wanting to have this moment on 9-11 for the 20th anniversary and saying they're out. I mean, what is that moment going to be like now? I, I can't even imagine what we have here in front of us. Chad Wolf, uh, acting secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security under President Trump, visiting fellow with the Heritage Foundation. Chad, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. All right. Well, thank you. So let me tell you about a little website. It's called TalibanJoeMerch.com. Yes, you can go get your Taliban Joe merch. It seems like a good day to get this one. Person of the Year of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Congratulations to Taliban Joe. He won the award. Now you can have it on your mug, on your shirt, or whatever else we have up there. Lots of good merch up there. I know uh, a lot of people love wearing it, so we appreciate you when you send in your pictures of you in the merch. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. And on a day like today, which sucks... It's nice to have something fun to talk about. Um, let me give you a comment from YouTube. Uh, by the way, stewdoesamerica.com is where you can get all the links. Uh, everything you need up there is always available for you. Merch and, and uh, social and the shows, podcast and YouTube. YouTube, um, this comes in. You can comment right during the show. We talked about this the other day. Will they replace Joe Biden? A nightmare scenario. Democrats carry Biden until February 2023. Then Harris can finish the term and still have the possibility of two terms herself. Imagine 10 years with Kamala Harris as your president. Oh, uh, if I, you didn't think you'd get more depressed today, did you? But you could. It is possible. Um, this is a review. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. If you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are, please give us your reviews. We do appreciate it. I've listened to Stu for years. Love his insight and his sense of humor. Five freaking stars. Thank you so much. Remember, when you review the show, you not only help us, but you hurt others. And that's the most important thing. Um, before we go, here's what happened. Michael Keaton, the actor. He's got uh, a situation where I guess he needs a new saddle for his horse. So he goes and he goes in his phone and he writes uh, to Cash Cooper, who is a California saddle maker. I don't know if you're in this world or not, but apparently he's well known and has this long exchange trying to get the exact right one. It's got to be custom. It's got to get all the details. He goes through this months and months of text messages. And then he realizes 
he didn't actually text Cash Cooper. He texted he texted uh, Bradley Cooper, who's been screwing with him for months. Has no idea. He doesn't know anything about saddles. He's just stringing Michael Keaton along, which is pretty funny. On a day that sucks. <laughs>